Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello everybody, welcome along, Cricket Badger podcast time again, and uh, I am James Butler, and delighted to say I'm joined by Adrian Rollins. Adrian, how are you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you, I'm good. I've um, messaged you a few times, you've messaged me a few times over the last couple of years, but first time we've come face to face, so very good to see you today. Unfortunately, we're talking about the same old subjects again, aren't we really, with this uh, this subject today, racism in cricket. Um, you'll know, and uh, a lot of the long-term listeners and watchers of the podcast will know um, shortly after the George Floyd murder in the States, Michael Carberry came on, said racism was rife in cricket. That went a little bit viral off the back of Carbs' interview. Azim Rafiq then came on a few months later and gave his account of racism at Yorkshire and obviously that's been rather big since then with Yorkshire uh, in the uh, crosshairs. More recently, we've had Scotland and their travails, the, yeah, the county scene has issues too. First of all, though, Adrian, coming on to talk about racism as a black guy, does that make you anxious? Does that make you nervous? Is it a tough subject to talk about? Um, no, I would say probably the older I've got, it's been easier to talk about. I think when you're younger, you um, probably a bit more apprehensive about what the what the repercussions are. It's not that you don't care when you're older. I think you just become a bit more uh, battle-hardened and just a bit more like, well, this is the truth, so you speak your truth. And that's not when you speak your truth, it's not something you should be scared of. When Carbs came on, he said that he just wanted to be the person that could look at himself in the mirror 
um, and be at peace with his actions in the world kind of thing. Um, but a lot of cricketers, I think, uh, are, are concerned about what they say, especially when their careers are live, as you've just kind of indicated out there, because there can be repercussions in the game. It can affect your selection. It can affect your future coaching roles, etc. Yeah, um, I just think um, when you when you make certain decisions and certain things happen, you then start thinking about the the, the, the potential repercussions and how that's going to be received when really you should be hoping that everyone that you're speaking to is is listening because it's, you know, racism is a societal issue and it's not one that's going to go away in a, in a split second. It's not one that's just appeared. Um, it's it's there and it's it will always be there, but it's about people, you know, ha- having people who are actually going to be coherent and say, look, this is this is real and you know it's not a case of just getting stuff off your chest and and that's it it's about what do we do about it and how do we ad- address that because it's not racism isn't just my problem it's everybody's problem because if we don't have equality you know i think it was it Martin Luther King injustice anywhere is in- injustice everywhere and that's the thing you it has to be addressed you mentioned about society. That was one of my next questions, actually. Racism exists in society. It would be somewhat naive then to think that it doesn't exist in sport and doesn't exist in cricket, wouldn't it? I think it would be, but when you enter the professional sport, you would envisage it being a, an even playing field because it's in your mind, you think it's just based upon whether it's runs and wickets, goals, whatever sport it is, just purely on performance. And so therefore your, your performance does the talking. Uh, but then there comes times where just even getting to that point where your performance does the talking is is difficult because as much as we, you know, the spotlight's been on a professional game, you know, the the kind of the the thread is goes through to, to grassroots. I mean, I consider myself fortunate that despite many of the barriers that were placed in front of me, um, I had opportunities or there were avenues that I could go down that I can actually get into the professional game. Uh, but for others, that wasn't even the case. So there's many people who had the ability and the application, because this ability is such a, a a wide word, that had the ability and the application and the attitude to to make it, but uh, were not seen as the the right fit for a team or the right fit at any time. I, I can recall many examples early on, way before I was professional, that kind of told me I didn't fit in. I've got a, a quote for you. It's an article on Crick Info um, about the. Uh, the Harringay Cricket College, which I think you attended back in the day. Um, quite yeah. a few graduates of that, as I've read up. Um, Mark Elaine, Keith Piper, etc. Uh, but the yeah. quote here from you um, when you were interviewed was, it wasn't easy being a black kid in London in the late 70s. My family were in local authority housing for a while. One or two of three black families in that part of Newham East London. And we were subjected to a tirade of abuse. It affected our sense of identity, self-esteem. I remember being very young, supporting Somerset because they had Viv Richards and Joel Garner and Hampshire because of Malcolm Marshall and Gordon Greenwich. Uh, and then you went on to kind of cite them as got a powerful, strong role models for you to think, well, they look like me. I can go off and do that. So in that way, the tentacles of cricket spread out to help you. In it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, watching the West Indies cricket team as a youngster was um, something that empowered me because it made me felt that I actually had an identity which yeah. I could be proud of. It's not I didn't know who I was. People <laughs> did tell me who they who they thought I was <laughs> quite a lot in the in the late seventies and the early eighties. And then there was many who didn't. I mean, uh, I think that's the other thing that's always worth noting. There were many people I grew up with who were on my side and and fought against racism. And they they were not black. They were they were kids I grew up with and and I'm still friends with now. So, but it was it wasn't it wasn't easy. It was difficult. The cricket college did provide uh, an invaluable opportunity. I didn't 
I didn't necessarily at points in my in my junior career, it, you know, playing through Essex schoolboy system, there were points where it was very clear that um, this was where I was not going to go any further. And um, it, I wouldn't say I wouldn't point out the county club, but definitely at the school system back in the day where you know you performed, and then you, but it, it was irrespective of whether you performed or not, you were not going any further. I can point back to the Bunbury year '87 in particular where I was top of the batting averages and there was a black, young black lad, the same age, who grew up, who was from Walthamstow, who was top of the bowling averages and neither of us qualified to play for South England or for the Bunburys or even get a trial for South England. But there was at least four or five, well, at least three or four other players who played for South England that year and some without even getting a trial. We didn't even get to trials. So, um, that that told us that told a story, and I wouldn't necessarily point out the club, but definitely if the system allows someone to be in a position to make those those decisions, then you have to ask questions. How, how do you square that in your own head? I mean, I've spoken to quite a lot of people over the last two years, and they say that you know, as a, a black man or a brown man in in cricket, you have to work twice as hard to kind of achieve and get to the to the end results. I mean, I guess that's that's in a way proof of that. How do you, as a young man, though, how do you kind of react to that when you think there's been an injustice there um well when at that stage when i was 15 years old i by that time it had become part and parcel of my experience in many in many circumstances i had that you know that that's 87 i had like late 70s so i just didn't think that cricket was that way and you know i i never i actually never played for Essex under 19s not the county. Um, I played for the schools under 19. So the guy who ran the schools under 19 was a really good guy. We actually went to the same primary school, albeit he probably went about 15 to 20 years earlier. But, you know, he and the people at a local level in Newham were very understanding and supportive. A guy called Hayden Davis, who NASA, Hussein has spoken about, a great guy for local cricket in East London, Stroke Essex. But um, Hayden's influence on my cricket pro- progression stopped to under 15s because he was no longer in charge of us but he ran the Newham teams and stuff like that but it was it was difficult to process but then you almost said well almost like well that's how it is so I I, I gave up the notion of being a professional cricket and it wasn't until I joined the Harringay Cricket College where I thought oh wow because I used to read the Wisdom Cricketer every month my uncles bought the magazines I'd look, I knew everything about every cricketer um, and then I remember looking up, you know, seeing when people like Darren Foster, who was at the Creek College, you know, made their first class debut or Steve Bastian or Frankie Griffith or, you know, the guys at Mark Elaine. I remember reading about him. So I knew there were English based county cricketers outside of the, the West Indian cricketers who were getting there. But I couldn't I couldn't work out how they were getting there until I joined the cricket college. By the time I joined the cricket college, my brother was had signed for Essex. And when people asked me, well, well, obviously your brother's black and you know, how did he break through? He, my brother was too good not to be signed by anybody. If if Essex hadn't signed him, there'd probably be six, seven other counties who would have signed him. He was that good. He was comfortably better, more talented cricketer than I was. And he was just too good. He was too good a keeper. He, he was head and shoulders above anyone at his age group and probably a year above and a year below. You know, he was just too good not to be, not to be acknowledged. And he, you know, himself and another young man at the time, Gul Khan, who played a little bit for Essex, a bit for Derbyshire, they were just they were just phenomenally good that they couldn't be ignored. I mean, in my case, when I think back to Essex, yes, I okay, I may have topped the averages, et cetera, et cetera. The only thing I would say, looking 
looking back, not at that time, but moving forward to under 19s, there was Nick Knight, there was John Lew- Jonathan Lewis, there was Nadim Shahid. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that that made it excusable. But um, and, and there was a guy called Keith Butler, who was a superb cricketer. I just thought that I wasn't gonna. I just think I my my I wasn't kind of put in the same light as those guys anyway. And um, having had my experience lower down, I I just couldn't. I almost like couldn't be bothered. I was quite academic at school, so I did my A levels and I was considering going to university. But then I let that go to join the cricket college. And then when I joined the cricket college, um, that gave me real hope because Res Scarlett and just the the former players coming back and supporting. Um, and their insights and their their support was really encouraging to to go to train every week and be coached by Steve Bastian, Frankie Griffith, Carlos Remy. Chris Lewis would sometimes turn up, even though he wasn't a graduate from the college. He was he had ties with the college. You know, these guys would occasionally turn up and they would just, you know, have them bowling you in the nets and then give you advice and just support you. That really made a difference for me in terms of me thinking, well, actually, it, it is a possibility. As well as my brother making his first class debut, I think about 18 he was. But even then, when I saw that, that still seemed a bit distant because Essex wasn't something I envisaged playing for after my, my youth experience. So I just thought, well, it's the, the Hamingway College gave me, gave me hope. And um, through that, I then got a trial for Derbyshire. And my first game was a three-day game. I think got 99 or something ridiculous in the first innings and then 70-odd in the second innings. And then it kind of went from there. And Red, that was Red Scarlett's influence because the college had such a growing reputation that Red could then reach out to some club coaches and say, or second-team coaches and say, give this guy a go, give this guy a go. And that was my entry into county cricket at a more senior level. If there was no college, I would never have played. And in my mind, I would never have played. Because I went for trials, I forgot to say, I yeah. went for trials for around many, many, many counties, just, you know, writing, go for a net. And that's where the kind of stereotyping really hit me more as much as my junior days at Essex because um, I'm six foot five, I'm broad-shouldered. What do you do? Well, I bat and I occasionally keep, then they look at me, well, that's not really possible. You must be a fast bowler. Do you bowl? I can turn my arm over. I'll be bowling for three hours. I'd be bowling a time length for the, the trial and perhaps have a five-minute bat at the end. And that happened at a fair amount of counties where that happened, where I turned up and I bowled and I bowled and I bowled and I bowled and then they tried to get me to change my action. And I, I, I literally was a, a very, very occasional bowler in club cricket. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's where it hit me where I thought, well, you must be a fast bowler. No, I'm not a fast bowler. I'm a batsman. And it was, wasn't until I actually got that physical game trial at Derbyshire where I, that was my opportunity. And yes, I had to take it. And then it was at that point where I then signed for Derbyshire. But without the college, I wouldn't have had a chance because when I tried to do it independently, all they saw was a six foot five black man who must be able to bowl fast. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com. 
quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Together, we save balls. The, um, your brother, by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, is... Um, uh, Rob Rollins, isn't it? Who played for Essex yeah. for quite a long time. Um, yeah. The uh, the coach uh, Reg Gala, uh, he played for West Indies, didn't he? As a spinner, sounds quite a character him. Uh, just reading from that article, you know, he sounded like you got a lot of respect for him, but he he was um, very forthright in his opinion. Yeah, he was very honest, Reg. I think I think um, old school would probably be in the way, but he was very honest, um, uh, very old school Caribbean uh, wise man. I think if you back in the day when you used to go and watch cricket in the Caribbean, everybody knew how to bat, bowl, keep. You know, the the crowd would most definitely educate you about cricket, and he was educated about cricket. And um, but he was very, yeah. If you didn't think he was doing the right thing, or if you had played the right shot, or if you were fielding properly, or if you bowled well or not, he would tell you. And some people didn't necessarily like that. I don't think he would, but I didn't have a problem with that because I grew up in a family that was honest. Um, and was support was supportive. My family was very supportive, but um, honesty was something that my family uh, and Reg uh, was probably even more honest than them. So I had no I had no problem with that because with the experience that I needed someone to to push and challenge me to do better and do it in a way that I didn't need an arm around the shoulder at that time. I just needed someone to get me get my foot in the door. And um, I think probably because of the experience with. Uh, with the Creek College and some of the guys who were very talented who still didn't get through, I think he just needed to be really obvious in terms of what I needed to do to to give myself a chance. When you've been watching over the last two years from a, a bit of a distance, the issues unfolding in Yorkshire, Scotland, Essex to a degree, further afield, what, what's been your reaction to that and, and your reaction to how people have reacted to that? I think a couple of things. Firstly, I've not been surprised because, I mean... It, you can look at all the things that have gone on. Look at the reaction after the football match last year when uh, Rashford and the two other young guys missed the penalties and the reaction on social media and other places about that. I mean, that that was scary. Mm-hmm. And what's gone on in the game, like I said, it's just, you know, sport imitates society. So for me, I wasn't, there was no, there was no surprise whatsoever. I think that in terms of, um, as in coming forward, I think it was a, a very, very brave thing to do. And it, and it opened up, you know, many people carbs have spoken. Other people have spoken have been people who have said things in the press, uh, you know, uh, and have said things. And it's it's opened up a can of worms, which has been there for a long time. It's been there since before I played county cricket. There's guys that I, I played with and played before me who had experiences. I know Butch did the the program um, with the former Black England cricketers, but you could have reeled off former Black County cricketers or Asian who had similar experiences. I think it's opened up a can of worms, but it's I think it's necessary because there needs to be conversations around people's experience. Some of these experiences have given people almost a PTSD, and that's not a chip in the shoulder. That's a real, because what it is, it's, it's like a compounding effect. It's not the fact that they've only had racism in cricket. That's just not the case at all. They've had racism everywhere, but it, like I said earlier, they would expected in the, in the realms of sport for there to be an even playing field and therefore that it not be there. So when they've had their experiences, it's come as like, oh, again, it's not, so it's not been, it's new. It's not a new experience in cricket. It's been, well, I expected it to be different in this, in this, uh, in this avenue and, it, and it's not. And with the, the more recent kind of things that have come out, what it's, what it's highlighted is just that there's a need for change and there's a need to, have conversations and there's a need for 
for not finger pointing, but just pointing how to point the game in the in the right direction moving forward. As much as um, there are people accountable, and those people need to be accountable, there needs to be a, a two-sided thing. There needs to be education. Humongously needs to be education around what it's you know around the conversation around racism, around inclusion, around diversity, around it all. And that conversation needs to be with everybody at the table. And people need to have, you know, some, put a mirror up in front of themselves and say, do you know what? I didn't do the right thing. But then at the same time, you hold people accountable. But at the same time, now, now what do we do? We can't just have this kind of clean sweep across everyone, across professional cricket or professional sport. But what you can do is say, this is the line we're drawing. And then at the same time, we will not, we will not, we will not have this in the game. And if we have it, then if, if that's your philosophy and if that's your mentality, then you're not welcome in the game. I think that's where the, the accountability needs to be needs to be higher. And then also at the same time, there needs to be a real support for those who have been the victims of racism or exclusion. And also there needs to be a layer of support for the perpetrators. And the reason why I say this is because when you think about professional sport, it's a young people's thing. I can say that now being 50. And uh, but it's a young people's thing, and young people can be dumb and can be stupid. Mm. And I don't think you punish people for life, but what you need to do is really educate them and hold them accountable. If they refuse to be educated, then there's no place for you. You can go off into your little corner and say what you want with your your friends and your bigoted uh, comments, but if you're not willing to actually be open and um, actually grow as an individual, then there's just no place for you in the game. That's my opinion. You are listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I've always said, Adrian, as we've been going over the last two years doing these podcasts, that if you don't let people change, you just stay where you are. Um, yeah. So if, if there are, say, for the sake of argument, 10% of people that are racist and 90% that aren't, if you just condemn that 10% to be that on the wrong side of the wall forever, in 50 years' time, there'll still be 10% racist and 90 And we'll be having the same conversations again, won't we? So we have to, you know, education, have the ability to give people a second chance. Otherwise, we just stay exactly as we are. Yeah, and we have to give people an opportunity to 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 grow and to learn and to be, to be reflective and on their actions and behaviours, and that has that has to happen. Doesn't mean that you've kind of let them off because some people might say, "Well, you've let them off." It's not about letting them off. If a if a kid, you know, at sixteen, seventeen, does something dumb, you can't hold them to at thirty. Not unless they're still doing the same dumb stuff at thirty. Then you then you say, "Well, actually, this, we can't." Do anything about this. Kids do dumb stuff. I mean, I've got three kids myself. I don't know about you, but when I was 15, 16, I was a completely different person to the person that was 30, stroke 40, stroke now, you know, 50. It's, it's, uh, yeah. you know, things move on, don't they? You get much more mature. Yeah. You understand things more. You educate, educate yourself more as you go through life. And, uh, you know, if, if you're the same person as you was at 16, there's something probably wrong with you. Yeah. But some people can be stuck. I mean, I, yeah, I think that, I think my, all my kids are adults. But the youngest is 18 and there's one's 20 and one's 23. And you often forget what it was like to be 18 because, or they forget that you knew what it was like to be 18 because they all think they're adults, but they've still got a lot to learn. And you do have a lot to learn when you're a young person, but it's if you're open to learn. 
And if you're not open to learn, that's where the problems ensue because, but then if they don't ensue, if you're surrounded by people who are also not willing to learn, which is where you get, that's where you end up with systemic problems where you're supported perhaps by even by older people who are thinking the same kind of immature things that you're thinking. And then you're almost coerced or encouraged to carry on with that line. And that's where we've had some issues in cricket where I'm not saying people say, go on, go and say a racist thing. But if someone says something racist, say, hold a minute, we don't do that here. That's not acceptable here. Um, and that's where that's where the coming together is really, really important. And I think the, it's really, really important for people to understand that, you know, if you think back to, you can think George Floyd, but go back to civil rights or anything, that in that whole movement and when those things took place, there were white people who were fighting for civil rights along with black people, along with Asian people. And that's really, really important for people to understand. There are a lot of people who who feel that what's going on in cricket or what has been going on is unfair and with that we need to come together and and build on that there's two from my perspective and obviously a white guy who hasn't actually experienced racism so i'm kind of like learning as i go on through this process but from my perspective there seems to be two things i mean i've been involved in the yorkshire thing more than more than anything but a lot of um players of color it's not necessarily one massive incident I, I get the impression that as as a, as a black guy, if you have an idiot that calls you names, you can deal with that because it's an idiot and you can pass it off as an idiot. But it's often a number of small things which yeah. kind of build up. You, and and to, to an outsider, to the people that say, well, this doesn't exist, what's he talking about? That's silly. Mm-hmm. Um, to an outsider, that just sounds like one minor incident. But when you're actually experiencing five of those a day, then you're going home and experiencing more. Then you go in the next day and you're experiencing six and seven the day after and four the day after that. They gradually build up and it becomes like instead of being a little snowball, they become a big mm. snowman and it bowls you over and you actually get hit by it. So yeah. that, 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 that's how I've, how I've seen it. So there's, so there's the incidents of direct racism, which kind of weigh people down. And then there's that feeling um, of the institution and the yeah. fact that the systems are built against you to a degree and yeah. therefore as i said before you probably have to try harder to actually knock those walls down to actually break through into the into the system because the system kind of geared against you and people can't see that is that a fair assessment yeah 100 percent. and i think it's it's like i said it's it's a, it's a lived experience on a on a in in various guises so i can give an example even a few weeks ago i, I went into a a whole, uh, I won't say the thing, a DIY store, nearly said the name, but I went into a DIY store and... Um, others was, are available. Yeah, others yeah. are available, yeah. And uh, and I um, was literally followed around for about 20, 25 minutes by security for no reason. I mean, I was actually in my suit, I'd just not long left work and I was followed around. I, I was looking for a, a lawnmower, I'm really rubbish, and I, I, I did find one eventually. But... Um, I was following around to the point where I actually tested the security guy and went up the stairs to the kitchen area and the bathroom area for him to follow me around. And then turned and I said, is there a problem? And he went, no. I said, but you've literally followed me around for 20, 25 minutes. I said, do you think I'm going to steal something? And that's not paranoia. That's just a real experience. And that's that's something that happens a lot. Mm. And when it's almost like it's, it's assumed that you're going to do something when you go in certain environments. And that would be that person. But when you, you have that and then you might be then, like I said, the next day you're somewhere else and something goes on. You are, you know, it's various things in various places. And from a looking in the in the world of cricket, I think it's where you have like the the kind of banter where the banter spills over into being offensive. But then you you don't have you feel you don't have the 
the the power in a commas to to speak back. So you 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 keep your head down and you say nothing. And that's where some people's experiences have been, you know, has built up over time. Or they say something and it results in worse things happening in terms of impacting their career. And that's that's really the difficult thing for people to sometimes understand. It's not one thing. It's a, it's a collective thing. And you like I said, you just want it to be. You want it to go into a professional sport environment. And think, okay, right, I can just be. I can just get on and, and do this. A change room is a unique place anyway, and it is very unique. It, um, you know, you've got 11, 12, 13, 14 people living in each other's back pockets for six months of the year, and it is it is a different experience. And um, But when some of the things that are said, and you're going to crack jokes and stuff, but when some of the things are said go a bit too far, it's really difficult when you're the only one who looks like you'd say, actually, that's not that's not right and then just generally some things that just go beyond that. Some some experiences are just a case of, well, actually, that's just, you know, out and out racist. And that might be, um, you know, I can recall, I'm not going to say names of the players, but people I played with who, black players I played with who experienced direct racism and it wasn't it wasn't anything but direct racism. And you you, you feel like you, you there's no one to talk to. And I would, you know, um, and that's where, um, that, that that's where things need to change that's where things need to change massively because you you shouldn't feel that you don't have a voice if you want to bring out something that is really personal to you and upsetting to you along those lines. You should be allowed to talk. It doesn't mean people are going to be punished for it straight away, but you should be allowed to talk so people can listen and then understand and then move and then find out ways to resolve it and then move forward. And I think that's where many players who have been in my shoes haven't felt they've had that because they've not felt that necessarily the structure has allowed them to do that because they didn't feel they could go to someone at the top and say, this isn't fair. Hmm. And or they know, not felt, they know it's they, they can go and say, this isn't fair. And for them to say, actually, yeah, you're right, that's not fair. And let's do something about it. Um, and that's and that's the challenge. My, my biggest issue with the Yorkshire situation, Adrian, was not necessarily the stuff that Azim encountered day to day. That was up to, that's up to him to uh, work out what's right and wrong and to, and to mm-hmm. tackle that. Um, although I have obviously incredible sympathy with that, but it was the way that Yorkshire re- reacted, as you said. There's nobody to turn to for Azim. I think he felt very alone in that yeah. process. He had Adil Rashid in 2017 who complained alongside of him, but in 2018 when he made the complaint, nobody took notes. People were looking at the um, clock board and um, trying to get rid of him, and then two weeks later he was released, and that that kind of underlines and um, uh, you know, covers with a yeah. highlighted pen that you're on your own in this. And if you start to be a problem, you can just bugger off. Yeah. Not fair that you're, that, that you're removed. And I, <laughs> yeah, that's an experience that is not unique to, to cricket. I've had that in, in my current career, not where I currently work. It's a great place to work, but I've had that in my, um, you, have, you have to say that Adrian. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I got nothing but love for not in university, Samworth Academy. If anyone's out there, it's a great, great place, great people, great head, um, great place to work, but I want to help, but I've worked in places where if I've raised, I think it was in the guardian. I didn't, if, if you've raised any issue to do races, then all of a sudden it's, it's become the problem. You've become the problem yeah. for actually saying, I don't think that's very fair. And um, that's what causes people to become just disengaged with the system and they think, well, the system's not there for them. And it's not just a case of the reason when you realize it's become systemic is when your experience is then 
other people have, have had the similar experience all over the country mm. and in all different places. And you think, well, that's where it needs to be addressed. And it's not about chipping the shoulder because it's about people having real trauma and then actually saying, but I don't want to have this trauma. I don't want to live this way. I actually want to, I want equality and I don't want a hand up. I don't want extra privilege. When in fact, all I want is just be treated as an equal and spoken to like an equal and treated as an equal. And that's not, I don't think that's too much to ask because ultimately, whether it's a professional sport or education or whatever world of thing, ultimately there's an end product. The end product as a professional team is to win games and for everyone to perform at their best. If it's in education, it's the children to perform at their best and get the best out of the children. If it's in industry, it's to produce whatever product or whatever you're doing with to the best, to the best and therefore get the best value for your customers or whichever field you're working in. And if that's the primary focus, then where, why, why would, where would race or anything else come into that? Why should it? It shouldn't. It just seems, though, doesn't it, that the, the complaint itself ends up becoming bigger and more of a problem than the actual issue of racism. So it's easier to sweep that under the carpet and get rid of it and then yeah. just carry on, carry on as you were. Because for most um, organisations, the hierarchy is predominantly white, so racism isn't necessarily an issue. So basically, it does things can carry on as they yeah. always have done, don't they? So that's, that's kind of the, how, how would you respond? I mean, I get a lot of stuff on Twitter. Um, I get called a woke idiot. I get called all kinds of different stuff, worse than that um, on DMs. But what would be your response to people that say that racism doesn't exist in cricket? I've had plenty of those. I've never seen it, so it doesn't exist. And it's been blown out of all proportion and that people like me are woke idiots and we should just shut up and um, stop, stop, stop being, stop virtue signaling, basically. Yeah, I hate the fact that people are called woke or virtue signalers for having virtues. So you're basically woke for having virtues that says it's not fair to treat another human being differently because of what they look like. So therefore you're woke. That's ridiculous. So therefore, let's keep let's keep the racism, let's keep the sexism, let's keep misogyny, let's keep homophobia, let's just keep all of it because because if you stand up for that and if you don't if you believe that that's unfair to be homophobic or racist or Islamophobic, then therefore you're woke. Well, if that's what it is, or you're virtue signaling, then I'm happy to be on that side. And that's not a political thing. I think sometimes people get caught up whether it's a Labour thing or it's a Tory thing. If people are so far right to centre that um, they're going to keep saying those things and they're going to be that silly about it, then that's really just that one is stupidity and secondly, it's up to them. But to criticise people who actually think it's to, it's fair to be fair is to me, it's just, it's just lunacy. And so, you know, woke or I think cancel culture is another word they love using. All those words just to me are just ludicrous. And I, I can't believe that in the information rich um, time that we are in that people are using their platforms to to sell hate hatred mm. and to actually push hatred and what concerns me is sometimes and i'll be quiet it's people who look like me are actually selling it as well um and it's just and i'm selling this you know of course we'd love charge you know there are opportunities in the uk that may not be in other places but the bottom line is in order to be successful you shouldn't have to then jump over, climb through, jump through hoops, do this and do that because of what you look like or whatever choices you are making in your life. That should not happen. It should never happen. And it shouldn't, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be take, like, can't treat like, well, it's okay. Cause it's not okay. I just can't believe this kind of calling people wokey and, and, um, and think because they don't believe racism is, they believe that race, that there's no such thing as racism or because you bring something out which isn't fair, then therefore you're woke. Well, then that's fine because woke is fine by me. 
I'm more than happy to wear the woke badge um, personally, but I mean, because the dictionary definition of woke before it was actually taken away and abused by people to use it as a weapon against people on the right side of things, as far as I can see, is that, yeah, you stand up for in, injustice and against bigotry is basically yeah. what woke is. Um, so yeah. if, you, if you want to call me that, then that's fine. and I sent the Badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast then tweet at cricket underscore badger. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Going back to your career, Adrian, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned how hard it was to get into the game initially. And uh, thank you to Reg Scarlett and the uh, and various other things. You got that leg up and Derbyshire took you on. Yeah. What was it like being a black player in English county cricket? What think of it? Can you give me an incident where you thought, blimey, that's just out of order. That's racist. That, you know, did you actually meet it on the pitch? Um, see, on the pitch, in terms of with opposition, <laughs> I think it's sort of vibe and built like an outhouse kind of might have stifled a few people's opinions. I think on the pitch, it was very few and far between. Sometimes you play against certain teams and I won't say the te- certain teams where, you know, they would try and intentionally, you know, there was very clear that they didn't like you for what you looked at. I'm not talking about being intimidatory. I mean, I played against Australia there and I, I actually, when I played against Australia or played against Australian players, I never had a problem with any of them. You know, they were aggressive. They came at you hard. They said things, but it was never racist. It was just just loud and aggressive and in your face and I didn't have a problem with that at all so that's I'd kind of part that one but in terms of some teams or some people it was very clear I'm not there was a captain of a certain club who was blatantly racist but I didn't have I, I don't think people had the um the nerve to to say anything to me to my face I think during the course of county matches I had racism from elements of the crowd at certain counties uh, monkey noises um, I played one game where part of the crowd was singing, we don't like black people. And, you know, that's, that was probably, I think, I think if I think about the times where I got angry in my career, that was probably one of the I got the angriest. Um, and after I got out, which didn't take long because I totally lost my focus, I went into the change room, took my pads off and left my pads and gloves on and thought I was going to be some kind of lionel from, um, I forgot what the thing is called, um, Thundercats and go and take on, you know, 500 people or whatever it was. Um, but that didn't work and Daffy stopped me thankfully because that would have been silly but there were times where I had it in the crowd I wouldn't say face to face on a cricket pitch because I think perhaps because of my size and stature so that was never going to happen you're probably far easier to take on in a Zoom box on my screen, aren't you? You look a bit smaller yeah. in that box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that's that's on the pitch. There's obviously issues yeah. there. I mean, that anybody involved in that crowd chant. Um, yeah. That's just ridiculous. Um, in terms of off the pitch, in, t- in terms of coming through cricket and, how you, and your experiences yeah. with clubs and the structure and stuff, how did that develop? Yeah, I mean, I had, I had experiences where, um, I, I, when I think back to, I think it's, I, I think, this already, but I think back to where I think it was like the more the the lack of education and ignorance which I experienced at times from from people. So I can think of one in particular where, or one of a few incidents where 
you know, in 95 when the, the, the Wisdom did the article, I think it was called Is It In The Blood? And um, there was a picture of Daffy in there and there was reference to essentially people of West Indian origin um, playing for England and whether they felt it was, whether they had it, whether it was in their blood to want to play for England because, or if they were playing against the West Indies, they, they wouldn't try as hard because they'd naturally be inclined to, to want West Indies to win. I mean, that article was extremely offensive. And in the article, and the, the race and win article is very clear because they made reference to people like Andrew Caddick, Robin Smith, who are not likely to be in that same category. So it was very clear what the, where the article was coming from. Uh, following that article, um, I actually did a response which appeared the, the following month in the Wisdom. So probably August 95, something like that. These things take a while to come through. And I was pulled up for that um, at the time. Um, and I was pulled up for not asking permission at a club or worse that effect to I, I it. Yeah, by the, by the CEO at the time. And that kind of, and I just didn't feel that I was backed at that time. The chairman was different. The chairman was a great guy and very much backed me, but I just felt a bit like, shouldn't you be, shouldn't the case be actually this isn't fair and we back you as opposed to being pulled up for writing it. Yeah. Um, and I have spoken to the, the current CEO, obviously that's cause it's such a long time ago about my experiences because when the clubs brought, sent out these emails about if anyone wants to discuss it, I discussed my experiences and, um, you know, they were, I'm actually really grateful to Derbyshire for how open they've been and how, how fair they've been. And, and Derbyshire is generally an inclusive club. That was, that was one incident. There were a couple of other things where certain players were saying things which were, I thought, beyond what I would say banter, but, and had a real kind of, there was an edge to it. I, I, I don't want to the exact detail, but they were they were it was it was inappropriate to say to to say the least. And funny you said like funny you should um say that. I actually spoke to my brother the other day. My brother rang me probably two or three days ago, probably a bit long, within a week or so ago, and um, he asked me about whether I actually enjoyed professional cricket. And I actually said, yeah, I did. In the main, there were just pockets of incidents which were were hugely upsetting. I'm not talking about getting out for naught because or going through a band of bad form. I mean, that happens. That's life. You have ups and downs. Uh, but there were pockets in my career where I literally just wanted to leave the game uh, because I just felt I didn't belong in the game. And But generally speaking, I enjoyed it. But my brother had some horrific experiences of his own, which he's, um, which he's um, like not processing now, but he's been reflective and looked back on those and they were out-and-out racist. And I think when it comes to those experiences... All it does is, like I said, it's like a, it's cumulative. It's a snowball effect. You just didn't expect that to come in yeah. in professional sport, and I think it's the, the 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 initial shock and surprise from that which which throws you. And then you can then look broadly and think, well, you know, once I remember someone asked once when you retired because um, my contract was released at North Fence, I was injured and I was never going to be fit to play again, so I retired anyway. But um, when I retired, did I ever think about going back into the game? I had my level three coaching badge did I think about doing level four and I, I said no because I just didn't think it was for me or for people who look like me because I just because county cricket as, as a whole it just didn't it didn't look that way it just didn't look that way and a lot of guys that I played with and respected had no I think the fact they had no inclination to even think about being back in the game at that level some have went on to work in you know in school some have gone their own their own little private coaching thing some have gone into industry in other industries but no one thought yeah I'd like to go back into the game and that was quite telling for me because they were damn good cricketers and wise cricketers and had a lot to offer and um, you know but still still were not getting their foot in the door and some did attempt to but just didn't really get their foot in the door and were 
so I think it almost added to the fact that were they going to keep trying, having played in a game where there was clear incidents where they were held back and yeah. mistreated, why would they then want to jump back into that environment Look when they're looking over their shoulder? So that's that's the that's the sad thing, really. Presumably because, Rob, your brother asked you that question about whether you you enjoyed it and whether you ever wanted to give up. That was because he'd actually considered that at the time, so I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. And also just, you know, he signed it. I was 20 when I signed for Derby. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd done my... I did my GC, I did my A-levels. I had, a, as I considered, you had applied for uni, but then decided I was going to defer, join the cricket college, see how it went. So I had, even though it might sound funny, I had a bit more experience than him, whereas he was literally GCSEs, 16 years old, signed for Essex. He was still a kid. He yeah. was, I mean, not at 20, I was a kid, but he was still a school kid. He signed. He then had to, look, he had to grow up around grown men in an environment which... Um, was developmental in some parts, but in other parts, just just not so developmental. You know, when you're learning to be a, a an adult or learning to be a man, you know, how, how that comes across is, or how you're taught that, an environment you're taught in is not always the right environment. So for him, it was like, there were certain things when he was trying to learn about himself where, you know, he was perhaps being led in the wrong direction. And yeah. that's and that's his challenge. And then, and then, then comes in the, the racism elements and then it becomes confusing because you know you're good enough or you, you believe you're good enough. And in my brother's case, most certainly, most certainly it was. But then what's that? So what's that all about? Why is someone saying that? Why is someone doing that? Um, and that's where, the, that's where the confusion and the distress comes in. And that's just, not, that's just not fair. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We've gone through about 44 minutes and we've confirmed that there is an issue and you've had experiences, yeah. your brothers had experiences. We've talked about Yorkshire and Scotland and there's obviously an issue in the game around yeah. racism. How equipped are the ECB, PCA, all the other bodies involved in cricket to actually deal with this? Because at the moment, there seems to be a lot of lip service, a lot of people defending their own backsides, a lot of people looking, out, looking after their own reputations, but nobody actually really picking it up by the scruff of the neck and actually making material changes to the game to make things better. I think change takes a while. And um, I mean, I know ECB got their 12-point plan and there's various plans in place. The thing is about plans is that plans are as, only as good as the execution of the plans. And that's where, you know, perhaps check two years from now yeah. where things are at. You know, you're not going to have, you know, you're not going to have like a Smurf situation where everyone's dancing around smiling saying there's no racism. That's not going to happen. But what is it about the execution of the plans and there being a real clarity around what is expected. And then if that's not delivered, then what will what will happen next? So I think it's more around the owning what needs to happen. And I think there's been some ownership, whether it's been people point out and say, yeah, actually it's it's not right. We own it, or whether it's been through stuff with the DCMS or whichever whichever means or medium it's it's happened through. I think we've got to a point now where people say, look, we know it's not good enough. And so therefore how are we going to make it better? And the plans, our initial plans, I think what needs to happen in order for those plans to be embedded and for the plans to be 
actually that the, the vision in, in, on paper to actually take place is there needs to be investment. And I'm not talking financial, I mean investment in time and energy to work with people who either know have, have had that experience, but or and also just generally invest time and energy for those who want to take that vision forward and believe it in their heart and also keep checking in with with people because you're not going to do it you can plan it i mean i work in education and you know um i i also you know i'm also an austin inspector you you know you inspect schools you see plans plans are nice but the execution of the plans the implementation of those plans and the impact is what we, what people want to see but in order to do that in order for that to happen it's going to take some time but there needs to be a bottom line drawn you know what is i think what people want to know is whether it's ecbp said what is our bottom line and if people don't agree with that then what happens and also like we talked earlier how are we actually going to put that quality education into the game and that, that so, so that the game is more united than what it has been. And people have not been aware of it. So when they think about Azeem, people would have thought, well, what's wrong with cricket? You know, Azeem is one of many. And the thing is, he's, you know, I really applaud his his tenacity in what he's done, been through in the last few years because it's cost him a lot emotionally. And what people need to understand is not to, is to support him, but to support cricket and support equality in there and that to be a real a, a plan that people are going to have confidence in because some people might not be aware of the, the 12-point plan a lot of people are not aware of it it needs to be more transparent and then all the things needs to be more transparent and then and then people then can get on board of it because i don't think i don't know how many people actually are aware of it well that's, that's so one of the about, things i always th- thought with that plan adrian is that you were talking about i mean i'll, I'll bring it back to yorkshire because it's the area i know best but I, yeah. i'm actually sitting in bradford as we stand and there's a big Asia, South asian population in this area surely the plans have to involve those communities so they actually own them so you discuss what you want to do you get somebody big from the ecb to come down and talk to the captains or the chairman of these cricket clubs and you actually say this is where we want to take it well what's your input let's move on together so we can all take this together and we can all own this together we can hold hands into the future into this beautiful sunset um at the moment it, it feels like it's laws dictating still what happens to people in bradford in leeds in other places yeah yeah and um funny saying i'm actually um attending summit tomorrow at trent bridge um where the ecb are actually gonna be speaking to people from the caribbean community um around around their experiences and how to take things forward so I'll actually raise that tomorrow. <laughs> Fair enough, but that I'm at Trent Bridge tomorrow for a, a discussion along those lines. But, but what you just said, I mean, that's that's a good thing. Coming to coming yeah. to talk to people about their experiences, that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, I think there needs to be. I think there needs to be more of that. The thing is, like I said, whether it's whether I've done whether it's at the whether working in schools in leadership, I've been in senior leadership for eight years in schools, or whether it's in cricket, or whether it's in the community, or whether it's in industry. The conversations are really important. The takeaways are more important. Yeah. And the next steps are even more important. So, you know, and I think that's the that's what people want because people want the opportunity to say things. That's great. And it is great. But then it's now what? I think the now what is the the important thing. So we said that, we've got it off our chest, we've we've voiced our concerns. Okay, so now what do we do and what's that gonna look like? So like there is a 12 point plan. So that plan will probably like any plan might be refining, updating, whatever it is, because because a plan has to be responsive and reactive to the environment and to what's going on. But people need to know, one, that there is a plan, and two, they need to know that within the plan, that involves them and involves everybody, 
that they need to know that they're part of the plan. I think that's the important thing is that they're actually an active part, not in terms of I'm going to tell you what to do, but in terms of your experiences and what you've got to contribute is a vital part of that plan in terms of what's going to happen next. And I think, and that's ev- that's everybody from every community, as long as they are open to to change and development, because that's the really important thing. It's like you just said, you want people to attend those meetings, get things off their chest, have a proper frank discussion about their experiences. But at the end of it, walk out the door thinking, I'm part of this debate now, I'm part of this discussion, yeah. I'm going to take this away and I'm going to talk about some more, I'm going to attend the next meeting, etc., and, and, and be involved in it, rather than actually yeah. walk out that door thinking, that's not for me, they're not even listening. Yeah, we do a summit at school with student, in student, student voice, and a lot of schools do this, where they call You Said We Did. So what we'd have, we'd have, you know, uh, good schools have pupils involved in the development of the school because it's ultimately it's those are the ones who are impacted by what goes on in, in their education. So they need to have an active voice in education. So we do something like you said we did. So pupils might talk about, I don't know, um, normal things, not with school dinners or something like that, but, you know, school dinners aren't good enough, not healthy enough. And we'll say, right, you said this, we've removed pizzas, which they will never remove. But anyway, you remove pizzas and we put salad in or something like that. You know, it's about the you said and the we did. So you said this and this is what we've done. I think that's the the, the thing that people are waiting on, really. It's yeah, like, yeah. what is it? And and what and actually that to be tangible, not just to say, okay, right, you've said that, okay, and we put this strategy in place and we've ticked it off. People want to see something that's going to be that is going to be something that can work on a consistent basis and it's something that's that's sustainable. And yeah. I think that's the key thing for, for cricket. And I think cricket's in a place where it, it everyone we, we, there's so many experiences that people have had, but we need something now to make the game move forward in a positive light, which is sustainable. It can't just be done in a year. It can't be a tick box plan or a tick box exercise. It needs to be something that's concrete and that has those layers of accountability that says, this is what we do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how we might adjust it along the way because, you know, you have your, your checks and balances along the way. But however, this is this is our bottom line. So whatever plan, strategy, whatever you're going to do, the bottom line is we are not, this is an inclusive plan. And this, inc- and this inclusive plan means that we are we are determined to make this game as best as an experience as possible for everybody. Yeah, we've seen enough T-shirts, haven't we, with slogans on the front. We need to actually get the action rather than the T-shirts now. One final question, Adrian, and thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to actually see you face-to-face and to talk to you (laughs) um, properly rather than exchanging messages all the time. Um, The final question, I mean, you've you've already gone through that thing about the plans there. The final question was, how do we make things better? Because there's a lot of whataboutery in this subject. You, You say... Even if people say, well, there is racism in cricket, but there's more racism somewhere else. Or if there is racism in Yorkshire cricket, well, look at what Azim Rafiq said. He's racist too. There's all the, always the kind of like counter thing, which almost in some people's minds kind of makes everything go away and everything's okay because two negatives make it all right. That doesn't, that's not how it works, is it? No. If we, if racism is in cricket, racism is in society. And some people point to wider society and as it almost as if to say, well, it's bound to be in cricket, then there's nothing we can do about it. But if we can solve or at least make it better, racism in cricket, it surely has knock-on effects to the wider world, doesn't it? 100%, yeah. 100%. It's like a, like a school. If, you're, if you work in a school where it's in a, in a community which, is, which has you know, regular bouts of racism, if as a school you say, this is our bottom line, this is the culture that we have within our school, the community has to respond to that because, or you just take your kids to another school. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yeah. And it's the same with cricket. If cricket says, this is our bottom line, um, it doesn't matter what's going outside. It doesn't matter if, if people live across the road from the ground. 
and want to spurt racist stuff. The bottom line is if you spurt that you keep it out there because when you come in here, this is what we this is what we do and this is this is our and we don't tolerate anything because I can't stand the word tolerance. We don't this is about respect. So yeah. we have zero tolerance for this. And cricket can do that. You know, cricket in, you know, when I when I go back to the very beginning when I talk about my my identity and how cricket gave me gave me an identity through the West Indian cricket team growing up. That's what cricket can do for people in general. You know, that, you know, when I go to cricket, I know that when I'm watching it as a spectator, it's going to be inclusive. I can enjoy it. I'm not going to go there and be subjected to anything. And that could be any kind of ism. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be entitled to, not entitled to, I'm not going to receive anything like that. And I know that when I'm on, I'm watching a team that is, that has a, the culture within that dressing room, the culture in that club is, Everybody is welcome and, and we will achieve together. And if that's, if you know when you're going to that environment and that is the stance that the game takes, it, it can only have an impact on society. Now, with people in the outside, like I said, on the outskirts don't like it, you don't have to like it, just don't come into the sport. You better find another sport where, where they do t- put up with it. And that will take a lot of effort. You know, we're talking firstly at a professional level or we're talking firstly at a grassroots level because... You know, I never, nearly never made it in inverted commas because of some of my grassroots experiences. It's grassroots all the way through. And there has to be that consistent language and that consistent dialogue that says, this is what cricket stands for. This is what football stands for. This is what badminton stands for. Whatever the sport is, this is what we stand for. And I don't have a problem with that. And I think if people outside don't like it and they want to say it's woke and stuff, then, then that's that's up to them. I'm, sometimes you're not about changing you can't necessarily change everybody, but as a as a body of people, you can say this is what we are, this is what we are about. And then if people don't like it, even though you know, if you're a young cricketer with um, you know a lot of racist undertones and what you think and believe, you you can't take up something else. I'm not saying it because it's not because it will not work for you here, and that's and that's the bottom line really. It's bizarre to me, Adrian, that we're talking about all of this effort and having to do this and that and the other and just to make the world easy. It should be easy yeah. to look people in the eyes and just say, I respect you, you respect me, let's get on with it and let's live together and be be happy. And if you turn out to be an idiot, I'll tell you you're an idiot, but not because of the colour of your skin, but because of the fact that you're an idiot, etc. Yeah. It's, like it's an easier world if we go down that route. Adrian Rollins, thank you very much for being on the Cricket Badger podcast today. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Um, enjoy your day at Trembridge tomorrow and uh, in the, into the future and enjoy your summer break from school thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you out there everybody for watching uh, stroke listening another edition of the cricket badger podcast chalked off if you've got any responses to that at cricket underscore badger on the twitter feed plenty of other ways you can get in touch with the cricket badger podcast which is now available on facebook live youtube live and on twitter live you can catch up with it later on the normal traditional if that's the right phrase audio platform too i've been james he's been adrian and uh, well i will see you again very soon i'm sure you'll see him again very soon as well and uh, enjoy the rest of your day everybody cheers all sports social podcast network